0: Hey, my name is Jeremy. Uh, thanks for having me here, uh, Pastor Chad, and also to Brant, who's been interacting with me as well. I appreciate the invitation. It's obviously a beautiful place. I live down south, and coming north, just watching the color change and seeing God's creation was an absolute blessing. So, thank you for that. Perfect timing. I loved it. Thank you. Um, I also wanted to introduce myself a little bit, and I think this is the way I'll do so. Um, My name is Jeremy. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the only begotten Son of the living God. This selfsame one who was and is and is to come, was born of the Virgin Mary, was crucified. He's risen. He's coming again. Today we'll be talking from his word in Galatians chapter 2 verse uh, 11 and following, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. It's talking about several different topics, Um, but there's two main things. It touches on things like conflict resolution, legalism, and cultural sensitivities, but if I was to focus on one of those, I think I would be missing the main point of the passage And the main point answers two questions that go together. The first question is, how are we made right? And the second then is, how are we made whole? How are we made right? And how are we made whole? So let me read for you from the New Living Translation, beginning in verse 11 of the second chapter of the book of Galatians. This is the word of the Lord to us. It says this. But when Peter came to Antioch, I, that's Paul, had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate, that would be regularly, with Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, he wouldn't even eat with the Gentiles anymore. Peter was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision, And as a result, Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter, in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile... Why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus, not by obeying the law. We have believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one, no one, not a single itty-bitty person ever will be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ. And then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? May it never be. Absolutely not. Rather, if I am a sinner, if I rebuild the old system of the law I already tore down. out. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law and I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. For I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. If I keep For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there would be no need for Christ to die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So how are we made right and how are we made whole? I think the answer to that comes in two verses in particular. One is verse 16, the right, and verse 20 is the made whole. So I want to look at verse 16 first. And I'll move through some of the main ideas in this, and then I'll come back around to the rest of the verses and pull out a few of those little application points that we mentioned that the other topics touch on, like conflict resolution and other things, but those won't be the focus. The main focus will be those two questions, how are we made right and how are we made whole? Verse 16, it starts off with this. It says, we know that a person is made right. And what this does for us is this. It tells us a little bit about God and ourselves. It tells us about God and ourselves. So the first thing we ask the question then is, what does it tell us about God? It's always good to start with God. We want to be theocentric, theocentric, focused on him, not anthrocentric, not focused on us. Some people, when they read the Bible, they go, oh, what does this mean to me, or what's this mean for me, or what's my point for my life? And really, that's important, but the main point of the Bible is not about me as an individual, but about God, His glory, His grandeur, and His creation. And then I look and see how me, the individual, little tiny piece, fits into that bigger picture. That gives me meaning, and that gives me purpose, and that moves me forward. It's not my big story, it's God's big story, and where I fit in that. So we look at this and we say, what does it teach us about God? Well, the first thing we see is that um, there is something here called uh, a passive voice in English. And a lot of theologians in Greek will call this a divine passive. And what that means is this, is that God is doing the action. If you look at it, it is being made right. Nowhere in here does it say that we are making ourselves right But we are being made right. That means that something outside of us is doing the work to us. That we are not doing the work and we're not doing it to ourselves. But instead, someone else is. Now, it also says something that's not very complimentary. And I don't mean to be rude. I know it's my only Sunday here. But I get to go away and (laughs) no one will say any different, I guess. But here's the implication, it says we are made right, which means that inherently we are not, we're wrong, right? Like, if we are being made right, that means we're not starting from a position of rightness, we're starting from a position of wrongness. We're in the wrong spot, we're not doing well, something is amiss, something is off, what's going on? We must be made right. And the Bible goes on and on about this in many different places. It's not just here, but you see over and over again that basically the plight of humanity is destruction. That we are dead because of our sin that uh, Adam did and passed down to us, and he passed it down, and we did it, and there's no getting it out of it in any way whatsoever on our own. We're dead. We're broken. We're messed up. We are not right. We are what theologians call fallen. So the very first thing we see is that in this first verse that God is the focus. He is doing the action. We are the broken ones. We are the ones in need of help. We are the ones in need of a savior. So we go back to that question, how are we made right? And what we do is we look at the world systems and we look at all the religions and all the different traditions. And it's funny, the different answers to that, you know, some of them tell you, you do this many sacraments. Some of them tell you you do this many pilgrimages. Some of them tell you you do this many good deeds. And as a pastor, it always frustrates me because I interact with people. And I'll, I'll sit there and I'll talk to them. And they'll sit across the table from me. And after a long conversation, eventually we get to this point And I'm like, you know what? Let me just jump into deepness here. I want to ask you a question and say, if you were to die today and stand before God in heaven, and he were to say to you, why should I let you in? What would you say? So many people are taken back. Like, oh, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I know that I'm wrong, but I'm not as bad as the next guy. I, I vote, I pay my taxes, I'm raising my kids, I pay the bills, I, I don't know. I had one guy once tell me, I would bring a pie to every funeral meal. <laughs> Whoa, buddy. I don't know. Like, I appreciate it. They're good pies and everything, but I do not think that's going to be enough. I just don't think that's going to cut it. Like, there's got to be something more here, right? Wouldn't you agree? The pie, to the funeral dinner, it, it's, it's just not enough. You know, and the Bible is clear. Nothing is enough. Like, nothing we do. Nothing anyone else does. Like, Mother Teresa, the Pope, Gandhi, whoever you are, it doesn't matter. You can't be good enough to get yourself into heaven. It just doesn't work that way. Because we're fallen, because we're broken, because of this infinite, almighty, and holy God that's so far from us, we can't do it. So how then are we made bright? What do we do? Are we all lost, damned, condemned? No hope? Verse 16 says, we know, we know this is not a guess. It's not a surprise. It is something that God has revealed. We know that a person is made right with God. How? Tell me. By faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that's a struggle because a lot of us, you know, like someone wants to buy us lunch. We're like, hey, you know what? I'll get you next time. No worries. My my turn, you know. Someone does us a favor, we don't even want to accept that because we feel like then we owe them, right? Like we owe them, we gotta pay them back. They just help me rake their my leads. Now I gotta go help them rake their leads. No, oh, no, it's okay, I got it. Don't bother. I don't want to help you. <laughs> but there's this unconditional offer in Christ. And Paul wants to make it very clear in a very biblical rabbinic sort of way so he's going to do what all good preachers do and repeat himself three times i said he's going to repeat himself three times and for the third time he will repeat himself paul says here not by obeying the law not because we have obeyed the law not by obeying the law over and over again he's trying to make a point and this is particular to these people in this era Who are dependent upon the law because they believe and they're right that at that time, this was God's revelation to them. And that's a big deal because you don't want to reject God's revelation. And so they're freaking out a little bit when he's sitting there saying, not by the law, not by the law, not by the law. And they're like, hello, Moses, do you remember this whole thing? Mountain, storm, clouds, thunder, tablets, that sort of thing. And Paul's like, that's not it. That was the old covenant, That was, and this is the new. Now that law is still true, and it's still good, but ultimately it has been fulfilled and revealed in an even greater and more special revelation that only begotten Son of God Himself. That Jesus is the Word made flesh, and now He is God's perfect revelation to humanity. And therefore... If you're looking to be made right, you won't get it in the law. All that does is show you you're broken, but Jesus can fix you. It's not by the law, it's by faith in Jesus. Now look, that sounds so churchy, and I don't know if you're watching online, or maybe it's your first time here, or you've been in church all your life, and you hear this term, faith. Faith, what is that? Is that like wishy-washy? I hope it turns out, maybe it won't rain today, I have faith in unicorns i've seen this shirt <laughs> what? i believe in unicorns okay what is faith well here's the thing the next word kind of tells you what faith is the next word is n faith in that is your faith must be in something you believe in unicorns or you believe in science or you believe in this or that Like, you trust in something, and what makes that faith real or good or workable is the object itself. If the science is good, then you're trusting what's true. But if the science is off, then your information is broken and your faith stinks. But here is what happens in the Bible. We are given this infinite object that can never be broken, that has never erred, that knows everything and was there from the very beginning. This is the solid rock to stand on. You can put faith in a lot of things, but there's nothing to put faith in that's better than Jesus. What do you believe in? Not what, but who. Jesus is the word made flesh. And they're having to switch their minds from the what, the law, to the who, the person. And we struggle with that too. Oh, wait, ah, oh, did I do a good job? Did I not do good enough? Will God like me? Will he love me? Will he accept me? I don't know. What I do? There's no what. There's just a who. There's no what, and that's why it's so confusing to us. Faith in what? No, faith in who? The person, the infinite object, the almighty God, Christ himself. You put your faith in Jesus you believe in Jesus, for no one will ever be made right by obeying the law. So this tells us something about God. This tells us how good he is. This tells us how loving he is. This tells us how gracious he is. That he would look down on fallen, sinful, dirty, yucky, broken people like me, and maybe just a little like you, and say, these sinners who deserve nothing, who can't do it on their own, I'm going to do it for them. I am going to make them right. And I will give them the gift that is of more value than anything else. My only begotten son. This is what God is like. He's a giving God. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. He is the one that makes right those who are in the wrong. So it tells us something about God. It tells us something about us. It tells us something about faith. And that faith is always in an object. And whether or not that faith is good or not is dependent upon the level of goodness in the object. If the object is solid, the faith is solid. So God us, faith, that's what you're seeing here. And the question then becomes, how are we made right? And the answer is by faith in Jesus. Now if you're looking for a big term, you can write this down, look it up later, but it's justification. Justification by grace through faith. That's Ephesians 2:8 and nine as well. But the point is, is these big words that God is making us right by the object Jesus who we believe in. And he does this on his own. It's his work. And that's what we call grace. Because we don't deserve it, but he did it to us. Number one, how are we made right? By faith in Jesus. God makes us right. Amen? Number two, how are we made whole? It's really nice to be made right. But I know, even after I've been made right, like initially, that I'm still broken. (laughs) I didn't just like pray the prayer and become perfect the next day. Didn't work that way for me. Maybe for you, that would be nice. I wish it worked that way. And a few times I've had some frustrating conversations with the Lord, explaining to him how I wish he'd done things different. What I think is better. Shouldn't I confess the sin and never have to struggle with it again? I thought, well, no. It doesn't work that way. We are made right, but then gradually over time we are being made more whole. And eventually in the future when we are with him, we are made perfect. Here's one for you. Let's see if I can get it right. Augustine started this and he said it like this. That we were able to not sin, not able to not sin able to not sin, and finally, we will be not able to sin. There's like the garden, and then there's the fall, and then there's Jesus, and there's where we're at now, and there's where we're at in the future. But right now, in this now, it's like, man, I know I'm supposed to not be able to sin, but that's hard. How are we made whole? How is this brokenness being restored? Verse What verse is this? I messed up the numbers in my outline. My old self has been crucified with Christ. Is that 20? Did you say yes? Okay, I got to fix that. I noticed that while I was reading. Got a little tangled. I'll get it for the next service. Verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ... It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting, there it is again, that in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how are we made whole then? how are we, we're, God makes us right. How are we made whole? Um, this is a kind of a big word but let me walk you through it this is called the mystic union or in other words when the holy spirit who is one with the son who is one with the father comes inside of you then you are in a in um inexorably or un in a way that's not possible to describe you're united to jesus because of the holy spirit's presence in you then you have been united with Jesus. One way I I would do it is sort of like an analogy with baptism. Like I think you guys well I don't see a baptistry. I think you baptize dunk rather than sprinkle, right? Okay. So we're gonna go with the dunk. I like my Oreos dunked, my strawberries dunked, and in chocolate and people in water, right? So here's how this works. If you imagine it like baptism so I'm going under the water now. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he bonds to you. He's inside of you. You are, in a sense, his dwelling place, his temple. And so if you picture my hands here, you have human and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in, and now they're wed. But then what happens is this because you are bonded to Christ. Then like Christ, you too are crucified. Now, not physically, but spiritually. And this is sort of vicarious, if you will, because the Holy Spirit is infinite. Holy Spirit is beyond time. Therefore, Christ was crucified once and for all. But for every believer who believes in him after that, in a sense, your old self is killed with Jesus on the cross. So in a sense, you could almost say I was there, even though you weren't, because God is beyond time. And therefore, when the infinite, almighty God, the Holy Spirit himself, unites with you, you are crucified. That old self is killed with Christ. And then you are buried. But you're dead in your sins, remember. And there's no life or resurrection in us. But the Holy Spirit, who can bring us back from the dead, just like he brought Jesus back from the dead, is still bonded to you. And the Holy Spirit will not stay down. And so he raises us up to walk in the newness of life. And that's what baptism is picturing. This death, burial, and resurrection. It happened to Christ physically. It happens to us spiritually. And that's what this text is getting at. And it's a little bit weird. And I know it's a little bit mystic. But it's a genuine union. That the Holy Spirit does with you and Christ with your soul. So now Christ is in you and the old self is dead. And therefore you can say with Paul, I no longer live but Christ who lives in me. Because the old self was killed. Now the old self tries to come back. If you picture yourself like the old self's in the grave. Sometimes we're like, oh, there's the grave. There's the old me. I think I'll go back over there. That looks kind of good. I want to get back in the dirt. You know, dirt's fun. I like to get messy. And the Holy Spirit then pulls us the other way. Jesus grabs us with his shepherd's crook and begins to pull us back out. And he doesn't let us go back to where we were. So how are we made whole? The answer here, as high and uh, complicated as it may sound, is simply... The mystic union with Jesus. And because Jesus is living inside of you, then what's happening is over time, he is transforming you to look more and more like him. So that at the end of the day, through this process, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And you will be more like him by the time you're done than when you started. I fully recognize sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back or two steps forward and three steps back, but Jesus is not going to let go of you. We just got done singing that this morning. He's not going to give up because he's holding on to you. That is your assurance. Your assurance of your salvation and your growth is not that you are holding on to Jesus, but it's that Jesus is holding on to you. The union is, is the guarantee and that's why in Ephesians he talks about a seal or a mark or stuff like this that claims you as one of his own so I know that's kind of deep and I know that's kind of heady and you can ask me questions afterwards um I forgot to put my phone up so I'm not really sure how far I am into this thing but I'll get ready to wrap it up and just give you a couple free tidbits on the other stuff before we go um Number one, how are we made right? God does it. Number two, how are we made whole? It's through the mystic union, through Jesus uniting to us. And once he's united to us, he doesn't let go and he will fix us no matter how broken we are. Now, a couple quick notes. Um, In this passage, you see uh, Peter having issues with um, his relations with other people and Paul opposing him to his face. So what does that mean? Next time you're in a conflict, oppose them to their face. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not. But really, I think the reason that Paul takes such a strong uh, approach in conflict resolution is because it's around the nature of the gospel. Now, this is not what color should our shoes be, what, who's the best team. This is not a preference, but this is something really important really significant. This is the nature of the gospel. What does that look like? And so Paul opposes him to his face. Now notice that Peter was afraid. Here's a little tidbit. Anytime you do something motivated by fear, most likely you will be in the wrong. When you act out of fear, you end up being wrong. There is, of course, a healthy sense of preservation, you know, the jump off a bridge thing. Think about what you're doing. But if you're afraid of somebody else or what they might think, you're not asking the question, what does God want me to do or what is the right thing to do or what does the Bible say? You're thinking about what they would say or how they will think of you. And that inevitably leads us to a wrong decision. So Peter is afraid. Paul's going to call him out. And one thing that you should notice, though, is bad stuff happens even to Paul. Like, we're in a church, and maybe nobody's listening to this online. Maybe somebody is. I guess it's being recorded. But um, bad stuff happens even in churches. I mean, you'd think it wouldn't, right? We're all supposed to be nice, Christian folks, you know, believers. Bad stuff happens even in churches. We need to be honest about that and not you know, pretend that it doesn't. The outside world rightly criticizes that point and says, you're hypocrites. And yeah, I mean, actually, uh, that's what was happening here. There have been hypocrites from the beginning. There's hypocrites to the end. And what happens is this guy, Peter, he's, he's pretty big stuff, you know, like he's a leader and everybody knows him. And man, if Peter's doing it, then I guess I should go along with it too, right? And all of a sudden there's some momentum and maybe you're just like, on the fringes, casual observer, but if you're deeply entrenched in church, you will see this stuff happen in churches, where there's an influential person who has an idea, and it's wrong, or wrong-headed, maybe it's motivated by fear, or something else, and others start following him. And Paul, you kind of get his sense here, when he's like, even Barnabas was led astray by this hypocrisy. Barnabas, you know, I like Barnabas. He's a good guy. You know, he should understand that this isn't right. And he's generally considered an encourager. But how encouraging is it to shun other people? That's not encouraging. Even Barnabas was doing this. Poor Paul, poor us. And yet we we just got done explaining that we're not right, that we're not well, that we're broken, that we need Jesus to fix us by faith in him. And it happens over time, not instantly. And yet we're still surprised when good people do bad things and that happens all the time the bible's not shy about saying this it's not pretending it's saying like yeah this this stuff happens even in churches that an influential important person might even lead others astray i'm not saying it's happening here i know nothing i was just invited to speak and i got to stay at a hotel and i'm eating some food and going home that's it i know nothing but I see this in churches i've been in i see this in churches in the bible and i know it's a danger we face so encouragement to you then in calling this out is that we will work to admit the truth and the truth is we're broken and we all need jesus and I don't really know what happened here. Like, I don't know if later Peter was like, oh, man, Paul, you are so right. I was so wrong. I totally blew it. Dude, would you please forgive me? But it must have reconciled somehow because they seem to have a decent relationship. The rest of the New Testament, they're not bashing each other or anything. This one's recorded. Poor Peter, he gets all his sins recorded. You know, I want to be the guy that everyone forgets, but his is like front and center, you know? Paul's got the conversion story where he gets hit by a bolt of lightning and all of a sudden he seems to be perfect. I wanted that one. (laughs) That's not me. I'm much more like Peter where it's like, oh man, I did it again. Oh man, I did it again. Oh man, I did it again. His is gradual. His is conversion. And you see the mystic union at work on Peter over time. And this is the apostle Peter himself messing up. And so I want to practice this this morning. I want to see if we can do it. I know it's hard, but I want to give you like a totally neutral, grace-filled opportunity. Okay, so this is not anything specific. Again, I have no knowledge whatsoever, but I want to just practice this this morning in just a second. I'll show you what I mean, but let me tell you a little story first. The other day, I was picking up my kid from soccer, and it was raining, and I got there early, which is... Unusual, but I got there early, and so I jumped out of my vehicle, and I ran over their like, concession stand, and he wasn't there yet. So, I was like, okay, no problem. I got back in my vehicle. I saw him practicing off in the distance, and then at some I started reading, you know, looking at stuff on my phone. I was there early, and then all the kids are gone. All the cars are pulled away. It's like 20, 25 minutes later, and I still don't see my son. I'm like, Man, what is going on here? So I jump out of my car and go back to the concession place. And I'm like, Ezra, what's up? Hey, he's like, oh, I couldn't see you. And I look back, and I'm like, wow, there's this giant, big, red truck covering up my vehicle. I couldn't see him. He couldn't see me. And we were both sitting there for 25 minutes waiting on the other person. The moral story is, I need a bigger truck. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. I, that's, that's what I told my wife. But <laughs> the moral of the story is this we're going home and we're not exactly arguing, but we're kind of going back and forth. He's like, Well, you should have come and found me. And I'm like, Well, oh, you should have looked around the corner. Well, you should have, Well, I was there early. No, oh, I wasn't. I was there And we're just going back and forth. You know what we really wanted the whole time? Just for one of us to say, Dude, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I could have prevented that whole thing if I would have just like, stuck my head around the corner instead of on my phone but i'm not sure that i ever did that or we ever did that and there's so many places in life where we're just missing each other and we're afraid and we don't want to just say these three simple but very difficult words i was wrong so i want to give you that opportunity this morning okay i know this may not be liturgical church or whatever But I'm going to say this out loud, and I want you to repeat it back after me. Don't have to look at your spouse, and if they're saying it, don't look over at them and be like this. (laughs) Just go with it, okay? Look at me. Nobody look. This is my Baptist in me. Everyone looking at me. No one looking around, (laughs) you know, or whatever. All right, I'm going to say it, and then you say it. Well, actually, let's say it together so no one's left out. On the count of three, one, two, three, I was wrong. Yes. Good job. It's so freeing. I mean, the text starts out, and it tells us that, right? Like, we're wrong. We're not in the right place, and we have such a hard time saying that. I challenge you to say that this week, like find an opportunity. Even if someone's like, hey, what time is it? And you're like, 10.03. They're like, actually, it's 10.03 and 53 seconds. I was wrong. (laughs) You don't even have to reply to that. (laughs) Just say, I was wrong. Look for easy ones, build up to it, and then maybe you can get it out for a harder one. Start small and work up to it. And I know it is hard, but the next thing you have to say is another three words. Does anybody else know what those are? I am sorry. Or I apologize. Let's let's try I am sorry, because I like the threes thing again. We're going to threes here today, right? So we're going to try that on three. So we got I was wrong, figured it out. Now we're going to go to I'm sorry. One, two, three. I am sorry. Great. Now, you know what you say after that? Nothing. (laughs) Full stop. Don't say anything after that. That's it. That's all you get. And if you end it there, you're okay. But if you keep going, you're just digging some more. Like... Yeah, I was wrong. I'm sorry, but you really should have come around that corner, because if you did, you would have seen me, and then you would have realized it's all your fault. (laughs) No. Stop. Stop. I was wrong. I'm sorry. That's how you walk a straight course. That's how you walk in step with the Spirit. One other fun tidbit, and then I'll close, I promise, because I know there might be someone in this room who's had some experience with orthopedics. And My dad was actually an anesthesiologist, so he would look at the Bible, and he would look at Genesis, and he would say, this is when we see that God is an anesthesiologist. I'm like, huh? He put Adam to sleep. He put him to sleep. I'm like, okay, dad. Cool. (laughs) Neat. But if you are in the orthopedic practice, this is a place where you could actually say, I see the word orthopedic in the Bible. It's in verse 14. I think in the New Living Translation, it says they were not following. Um, If you look at other translations, like the ESV, it says their conduct was not in step. If you look at the Message Version, it says they were not maintaining a steady, straight course. And the reason the translations are going all over the place is because this is the one time in the entire Bible where the word orthopodeo occurs, much like orthopedic. And ortho means straight and paus means foot. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying, when they're acting hypocritically, they're not admitting they're wrong. They're not walking a straight course. They are orthopoducing. They're going the wrong direction. So that's just an extra because I know there's people here, but here's the point. In order to walk in line with Christ, we have to admit that he's the object of our faith that he walks a straight course, that we don't. And when we're confronted with somebody else, we might just want to say, you know what? I've been made right. Jesus made me right. So I'm free to confess my sins. I don't have to hang on to this guilt. There was a point in time where I believed in him and he baptized me in the spirit and he's going to make me better, but I'm not there yet. I'm in union with him. And so I just want to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit, by His grace and by His power, will move you back in line and do His surgery on your step so that you can walk in alignment with Him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 21. Here's what it says, particularly in verse 16. We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. How are we made right? By f- God makes us right by faith in Jesus. How are we made whole? By being crucified with Christ. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. Thank you for your word, which is true, and your many grace gracious gifts to us. We ask that as we uh, continue in worship now that you would change us, that you would give us the grace to accept who we are in you and who we are as human beings, that we believe in the work of Christ, we trust in his person and who he is, and freely confess our sins to him. In whose name we pray, amen.